I'm actually going to start the way actually I start teaching contracts, which is the end, right? I start with remedies. And so uh, I'm going to start with a little bit about how we grade or how I grade. And I'll be curious to hear actually because I think there are some similarities and some differences, although I think we're all basically going for the same kind of thing, right? So um, the way that I grade, I try to be fairly uh, systematic. Um, so I break it down into your favorite new four-letter word, right, Iraq. So uh, where I'll, when I go through and I just give a, I give a point for spotting the issue and I'll give you a point for reciting the rule and then I give a point for each point of, what I, of analysis, which I think of as the application of a rule, or at the application of a fact to the rule in a way that pushes the outcome one way or the other, right? And like I said, I think you'll see that lots of, that people do things differently, although they're all looking for something at least fairly similar. Um, I said Iraq, and, and I really should say Iraq, right? So I actually, I don't give points for conclusions. So, and I think that, and again, I'm not sure everyone will follow the same practice, but I, I like to say that, I like to reiterate it, um, because Again, when I, one point I do think is common among, among most faculty members is that we're not really looking for the answer in terms of outcome, right? We're not looking for outcomes. We're looking for you to apply the rules that we've been talking about through the semester. And so, um, you know, all of these are um, uh, tests of application as opposed to recitation or regurgitation of rules. Um, and I will, I'll tell you the same thing I tell my every class I teach. Um, you're all very smart, right? You're all here at the University of Virginia, which is a wonderful law school. It's a very hard law school to get into. You're all quite smart. Most of you will know the rules. I don't have a lot of circumstances where I pick up a test and I go, oh, wow, they just didn't know the rules. It happens. It doesn't happen very often. Um, so the way that you're going to distinguish yourself is in your ability to apply those rules. And that works with regard both to spotting the issues, and you spot the issue by really understanding and being able to use the rule, which is why I'm not a big believer in study guides, which will tell you what the rule is. They'll tell you the rule over and over and over again, and you can make flashcards and tell yourself the rule over and over and over again. But by and large, at least in terms of, you know, by my experience, most of you will know the rules. So the question then is, how well do you really know the rule, right? can you sort of feel your way through the rule and into applying it and really make it work? And that kind of sort of deeper knowledge and understanding is what we're looking for, and it comes out both in the ability to spot issues and the ability to, to find the facts in the question set and the question, right, that, that apply to those uh, rules. So again, I don't, I don't give points for conclusions. I tell everyone I think it's good to have one because it provides focus and direction for your answer. Again, this might be a little bit of a difference. Almost all of my questions, you know, they tend to be pretty big issue spotters, and I'm looking for both sides, right? I'm not usually asking people to write a brief um, uh, as they're going, right? Um, some differences, I think these are definitely, these are gonna be definitely, these are definitely gonna be differences among uh, faculty members, and so you should ask your professors right, uh, you know, how they're going to grade and, and how they're going to approach this problem. It, it shouldn't be a mystery. It's not a mystery to us. It shouldn't be a mystery to you. Um, uh, we want to be consistent and we, and we want to um, uh, be fair. Um, some people might care about the quality of your writing, right? They really want your answer to, to flow and, you know, and, and read well. I think that's asking too much. Uh, given the given the situation we put you in, and so I'm just looking for uh, your application, right? And often better answers are going to flow a little bit more because the student will have figured out the issue and will really be following kind of a logical course through the answer. Um, but um, again, I think that's something that you should uh, ask about. Um, case citations are another thing that students ask me about all the time, and again, I think your mileage may vary on this. Um, I think they are great. Uh, but not necessary, right? Um, they're great. They will ground the professor uh, in exactly the rule that you're talking about because you've had, hopefully, a shared experience of that rule in that case. Uh, and so I think it's a great way to really anchor someone as you're talking about uh, uh, the answer in your, uh, on the exam. 
but I don't think they're necessary. I've had fantastic um, uh, exams that didn't cite case names. Um, for me, and for me, again, you know, you should ask. I, I don't really care if you get it wrong. I'm looking for you to demonstrate your understanding. So if you say false staff, right, sort of Paul's graph or that railroad case with the scales or whatever, like that's all fine with me, other than the fact that I teach contracts. So, <laughs> uh, but, you know, just, you know, try to, you know, try to make that communication. And I think we all, we all want you to do well, right? We're not sitting in our offices going, you know, oh, I can't wait for a student to make a particular mistake. That's going to be a lot of fun. So we want you to do well. We want you to be successful. We're, we're going to be trying to uh, find those points that you're making on the exams. And uh, it's, a, it's a matter of being clear. Um, the, the only thing, so the only thing I was going to talk about, well, I was going to talk about how I take them as well, but I think I'll wait on that. One other thing they asked me to talk about were common issues, which I think are, are relevant to how I grade and, and how we grade. Um, and a few of them are, uh, you know, some basic ones. It goes to this conclusion point. People tend to be conclusory. You want to give the answer, right? This is like, I mean, like I said, you know, I don't give points for the, for the actual conclusion. So this is like a math test where you don't get points for the final answer. So in some math classes, right, you get points for the final answer, but you have to show your work. Here, you, as far as I'm concerned, you just have to show your work. That's all I'm looking for. And so sometimes, you know, someone, you know, like, someone will write, well, you know, under the expectation measure, the plaintiff gets $5,000, right? Well, that might be the right answer, but I, I, don't, I don't want the answer, right? I want to know what, you know, what's the rule that you used, what part of the expectation measure did you use in that case, um, and, and what are the facts that, that led you to get there? Um, um, you know, the other are missed issues, and uh, missed issues, I think, come up because you will know the rules to the point of being able to recite them and describe them, but you won't know them to the point of being able to use them. And so, uh, again, you know, um, uh, it's sort of the, the difference between looking at a road map and driving on a road, right? Uh, my, my recommendation for you is to practice applying the rules and to do that in conversation with your colleagues. As I said, you're all very smart. You're surrounded by really smart people. I would recommend that you talk to them, you know. Uh, you will learn more talking to your colleagues uh, about what you're studying than, than, than you might learn in any particular class, but it, it will become, it'll be much more real to you because you're applying with them. Um, and then organization can be an issue for people, uh, although, again, I think that really just depends, right? So sometimes people get, get caught up and they get sideways. Sometimes a, there is a particular organization that makes sense. Um, mostly I would say, don't worry about it too much. You know, use the organization that makes sense to you. Chances are pretty good it's the one that makes sense to us too. But the worst thing that you can do is say, okay, I know what the issue is and I know what the facts are, but I gotta make sure I get everything in the right order and you'll trip yourself up trying to make that happen. So, you know, try not, organization is one of those things where I say, try not to, um, to worry too much about it. It will, it will kind of flow. And if you have to, you know, you can say, oh, yeah, and I just thought of this thing. You know, that's probably, that's not the best thing to have happen because maybe you should have thought of it earlier, but it, it, it can be fine, right? It's fine. So, you know, my, my, biggest, my biggest point about organization is not to worry about it too much. So those were the, those are just, those are the few points that I had on that. And again, I'd be curious to hear if you, if you all agree substantially differently than that or. Well, I, I think I'll add my points of disagreement to the extent there are any along the way in my remarks. Um, I think I largely almost completely agree with, with what you said with a few minor quibbles. Um, so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about getting prepared for exams, uh, strategies going in, and then, and then strategies for taking an exam uh, as well as a little bit more. Um, the first thing that I want to remind you um, is you do know what exams are. So sometimes when we get to law school, and I'm hoping that many or most of you have seen a midterm and you've had the chance to practice, but in law school we have this idea that, oh my goodness, there's this thing called a law school exam or this thing called legal writing, and it's completely and totally different from anything we've ever done before, and oh my God, the world is coming to an end. And the, the thing that I want to say is you all have done lots of exams, I'm assuming, in, in prior academic spaces. You've taken exams before. 
And so in some sense, you do know what you're in for. And you should just fall back on the same kinds of smarts that you have. You're all really, really smart and the study skills that got you here. One thing that I think is really important is don't make any sudden changes. You know, if you're looking around you and you see that people are doing things differently from the way you have done them successfully before, don't suddenly think, I've got to start, you know, doing, doing everything differently. You know, continue to follow the, the tried and true ways that got you here. And then, just to be clear, we think that you do know what you're going to be tested on. Um, Tom gave you a, a, a good nutshell description of that. But just think about what you're learning in the classes or what we think you're learning in the classes. You're learning a couple of different things. One, in each of your classes, you're learning a body of doctrine. You're learning the basic outlines of contracts law, of torts law, of criminal law, the rules of civil procedure. So there is a descriptive content that you're learning, right? And one thing that you want to be clear on is most exams, and you'll need to, to follow up with professors, ex the professor expects you to know that doctrine. Yes, there may be more than one approach to a question, but you're expected to know what the doctrinal material is, what the rules are. So you need to learn that stuff, right? And no matter what your professor says coming into class, some professors repute reportedly come in and criticize every case you're learning. Each and every case they say, this is dumb, this is stupid, this is ridiculous. And that can sometimes leave students bewildered, like, well, what am I supposed to be learning? What is the law that I'm supposed to be applying? This is all stupid, this is all dumb, this is all ridiculous, according to my professor. Yeah but it's still the law, right? And so when you come to your exam, you need to know that doctrinal material, even though according to the professor's theory or approach, it's, it's not very sensible. So make sure you keep your eyes on the doctrine. And then what we're expecting you to do is what Tom said. We're expecting you to be prepared to apply that doctrine to a new case. You're going to be given a new case, a case you haven't seen before, and you're to evaluate that new case in light of the law that you've learned. And so that's the analytical component, that's the thinking like a lawyer component. And again, you've been doing that all semester in classes, um, you know, studying a case and then asking a lot of follow-up questions about how that doctrine <coughs> would apply to a new set of facts. So that's what you're being <coughs> expected to do. Um, you want to identify what the difficult issues are, and then the range of plausible arguments that the lawyers would be making on both sides. <laughs> on my exams, I don't, you don't need to come down to a conclusion that's correct, because typically we're giving you uh, cases where there are very hard issues, and there are good arguments on both sides, and no one will know what the correct answer is until a judge rules. But in my exams, I frequently ask you to evaluate the likelihood of success of the arguments that you're making. And I, and I want you to do that if, if you're asked. I'll get back to that in a minute. So you know, what, you know what exams are, and we are hoping that you know what you are being tested on. Um, doctrinal content, and then how to apply it to a new set of facts. Um, I'm going to give you some ideas about using your time well between now and the exam taking moment. Um, the first thing that's really crucial is be sure that you know what your professor's ground rules are. Is it an open book exam? If so, completely open book, you know, limited open book. Is it closed book exam? You prepare for those exams potentially somewhat differently. You need to know these things. What kinds of questions are you going to be getting? Are they going to be essay questions? Are they going to be the big issue spotter question? Are there going to be questions that have the, uh, a focus on, on policy issues? What about multiple choice? You know, so all of these things are things that your professor knows and should be willing to share with you, and they are willing to share, but you need to know. It would be really a disaster if you walked in prepared for an open book essay exam and discovered that you were about to take a closed book multiple choice exam, right? So make sure that you get all that stuff and, and that you know it going in. Professors will tell you this. Um, unless they've gotten really super crosswise with a class and they're really pissed off at you. And of course, at that point, you know, all bets are off and you're all in the same boat. Um, 
just joking, not. Okay, so, <laughs> so these things have been known to happen in, in some law schools. So the other thing too is to make sure that you make good use of your professors now, between now and exam time. Go to office hours. If there are things that you are struggling to understand, this is the time to go and get your questions answered. Make us earn our good salaries. Um, that's what we're here for. And notice, if you're struggling with something, there's more than one possibility about what's going on. Maybe we haven't been clear in class, and it's something that we could very easily clarify for you if you come in and talk to us. We should do that. Um, the next thing is, if you're struggling with it, maybe it's genuinely difficult, and it's hard for everyone to articulate what the approach is. And for genuinely difficult questions, they often are the ones that appear on exams. And guess what? If you come to our office and ask us one of those genuinely difficult questions that's going to be on the exam, we're going to answer it. We're going to answer it in a straightforward way. We're not going to go, oh, that's on the exam. I'm not telling you. Um, we, you know, so, so my point is, is make use of us. Make sure you come up it, it, to the extent you, you, you have questions and, and, and ask us for help. With that in mind, know your professor's ground rules for office hours once the reading period starts, because some professors stop holding office hours at some point. You know, maybe they'll have office hours up until the end of classes. Maybe they're going to go away at some point and disappear. And you need to know this. Uh, will they take questions by email? All of those kinds of things are important to the extent that you're hoping to talk to a professor, make sure that you get from them the information so that you know um, if they're going to be around or not. Um, the next thing that I think is really important when you're studying during the reading period um, is have an action plan for your study time, right? I think you have four exams, if, to the extent you're all 1Ls, I I, I'm sure you have four exams, and you're going to want to allocate your available time wisely. I don't know what your first exam is, I hope it's CRIM, because then you'll spend all of your time studying CRIM and I will get the most magnificent set of answers ever. Um, on the other hand, if CRIM is the last <laughs> exam, I want you to make sure, and so s strike that stupid joke I just made, um, you have four exams. You want to make sure that you're allocating sufficient time to each of them. Don't spend all of your time during the reading period studying for your first exam. That's going to leave you, you're going to come up short with respect to the others. And this is, you know, this is a problem, it's a time management issue, but it's really, really crucial. And it's something that I struggled with when I was a student. Drove my husband absolutely insane because I wouldn't leave the house until my outline was done and I had to take a subway and he'd be like, your exam's in 15 minutes, would you please leave? And I'm like, no, I can't leave, I haven't finished my outline. So that was sort of my fault. I hadn't allocated my time wisely. So sit down and figure out where do I need to spend, you know, is, which is my hardest class? Which is the one where, you know, I'm going to need a little bit of extra time? Um, which is the easiest one? Which one do I really adore reading for? What's the one that's, you know, more difficult? So just, and have a game plan. I actually recommend that you think about using half days, maybe even quarter days, you know, in terms of what the, the, the time that you're going to want to allocate to each of these exams. You want to build in some downtime, some time for you to rest, and certainly after you take an exam, in the immediate you know, hours after you finish an exam, it's hard to spring right back into study mode. But, but be mindful that you have more than one and allocate the time among all of them. Um, so let's see what else. <coughs> um, so when you're taking the exam itself, read the question. Answer the question. Make sure that you have looked at all pages of the question. As Tom said, we're really rooting for you to do well. We hang in there until the last word you've written and do our absolute best to give you every possible um, point that we, we can. But sometimes what happens is people don't realize that the statute's on this page. So they'll be reading, you know, in crim law, for example, I'll frequently give a statute that you're supposed to apply and the students will, you'll read the, 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 the case, and then you'll just start falling back on sort of general principles. Well, there's a statute on the next page. Make sure you turn all the pages, is what I'm saying, so that you can avoid that problem. And then also read the question and answer the question. 
You may be told spot all the issues. You may be told something quite different. What is the best argument that you can make on behalf of your client and how likely is that argument to succeed? I'll, I'll ask that sort of question. You know, so make sure you're reading the question. Take seriously the role that you've been given. Um, you know, again, I realize what Tom is saying that you know, it's, if it's a big issue spot or some professors may not care um, what, what the role assignment is so much. But for me, I do care. If I tell you you're a prosecutor, you know, that's going to give you a certain way of approaching a question versus if, I'm, if you're told that you're a defender. So read the question, answer the question. When you're answering the question, be balanced. Always make sure you take account of the very best arguments that could be made by the other side. Great lawyers win cases because they figure out all the ways they could lose the case. So what you wa always want to do is, if you're given one role, is ask yourself, what if I was assigned the opposite role? What would I say if I was sitting in the other um, uh, uh, lawyer's shoes? So be sure to read your questions and, and answer them in a balanced way. Um, the next thing is read them really carefully. Um, we get our fact patterns from all kinds of places. I do my best to take mine from real cases, and I'll mention in a minute why I do that. But a lot of professors get exams from pop culture. You know, think TV, movies, um, when you teach criminal investigation from Jay-Z songs. There's lots of great stuff out there. Um, um, high culture, I don't listen to opera, but if I did, I probably could get some, some crim cases from that. So my, my point being is we, we, get, we get these cases that we give you from a lot of different sources, and you may recognize some of them. But even if you do, read the question really carefully. Maybe especially if you do, read the question really carefully because of course we're going to make changes, right? You know, the Jay-Z song is great, but you know, I need to, to tinker with it a little bit before I can use it um, as a successful question. So you want to make sure you read the, 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 the question it's given even if you think that you recognize the facts, maybe especially if you think you recognize the facts. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about recently about lawyering generally and about exams too, um, having a client is a really important discipline on you and on the way in which you approach a case. So what I recommend that you do when you are taking exams is say to yourself, this is real. The exercise that I'm being asked to participate in is real. And in CRIM, I try to base my questions on real cases. And I find that that's very motivating for all of my students because when they read it, they go, oh, this really happened or is happening in the world. There is a judge sitting somewhere in the country who is confronted with these issues, and I am a lawyer who has to help that judge decide what she should do. And so that's a really you know, important thing, that it gives your answer some discipline, some focus. And it's not, this is not just an academic hypothetical. These are designed to help you get ready to be lawyers in the real world. Now, of course, you can write this off as professor trying to suggest that this academic exercise is actually important, right? And, and you, may, you may decide that that's not true. But, but, but you will be required to write memos in difficult cases, and you should treat this exercise as being one of those. Um, let's see, what else, what else, what else? Um, I'm gonna go back to what Tom said about how we're looking for analysis, not description. So you don't wanna just regurgitate the doctrine. You don't need to describe, for example, that criminal law requires proof of mens rea and actus reus, and then give this abstract description of what those basic elements are. I know that, okay? Remember, who is your audience for the question? It's one of your professors, or if you're placed in a, in a, in a role, it's a colleague who has knowledge of this area of the law. So you're talking to someone who knows the law, and you want to help them evaluate and analyze a, uh, a difficult question. So analyze, don't regurgitate. Do not cut and paste from your outlines. Just don't do it. We spot it immediately. We know when you're doing it, especially when you do it in three or four questions in a row. Um, 
for me, it's a mild annoyance. I just flip the pages. I know I can tell I'm reading someone's outline. They're just giving me their outline as opposed to answering this question. But other professors get more than mildly annoyed and, and you know, in fact, might take points off for doing that. Um, so that's, that, that, don't do that. Um, the next thing that I want to mention really quickly is, because this was something that it took me a long time to learn when I was uh, uh, sitting where you're sitting. Whew. Exams don't contain any surprises, right? And by that I mean you're going to be given a new case. You're going to be given a case that you've never heard of before. Um, in my, I've told some of you my contracts exam in law school had to do with a contract to cater a wedding and the catering truck got stuck in the Hudson Tunnel or the Lincoln Tunnel or whatever the tunnel is that goes under for, between New Jersey and New York. So I'm sitting here going, I don't know the law of wedding, wedding catering. And it took me like about five minutes to come back to earth and go, wait a minute. But we did learn something about the law of contracts. So in CRIM, in CRIM, for example, if you're given a statute about the fact that it's a crime to tattoo a minor, right? It is a, did you know that? It is a crime to tattoo a minor. Um, don't go, I don't know the criminal law of tattooing of minors. You don't, but the point is you do know the basic ingredients of criminal law and you just want to ask those same basic questions that you've been asking all semester and apply them to this new case. In other words, when I say there's no surprises, the law that you are expected to apply is the law that's in the case book that the, you and the professor have discussed for the whole semester. That's the law that's available to you. You don't have time to go and research if there's some special rule for tattoos or wedding caterers. So don't worry about it. Just go ahead and dive into the, the question that you've been given. Um, the, the last quick thing I was going to mention is if you're having trouble of any kind, please ask for help. And I don't just mean in the moment of the exam. Obviously, at the moment of the exam, if your computer blows up, go straight to the IT people. They will save you, and everything is going to be fine. But if you're having trouble during this time and during the run-up to exams, if you're sick or family members are struggling or there's just something really difficult going on, you know, make sure you reach out to Dean Davies' office or to professors um, or something because we're here to help. We want to make sure that you have a, a really successful experience. Great. Well, uh, I see some of my students here and they've heard some of this before, so I apologize to them in advance for repeating my usual spiel about exams, but I, that's what I know, so I will uh, talk about that. And, and of course, uh, Tom and uh, Anne have, have said a lot of the, the main things that, that I would like to say, but I'll, I'll probably say them in a different way. Uh, so I'll start with my own acronym uh, instead of uh, IRAC. Uh, the acronym that I like to use for thinking about what I look for on exams, I call COJI, C-O-J-I. So the C is for competence, uh, and that basically means the doctrine, as, as Tom and Ann uh, talked about, do you, do you know the rules? Do you understand the facts of the question? Are you, uh, are you exhibiting competence, which is the key first rule of lawyering? The second O is organization. That's also been mentioned a couple of times. So uh, I agree with Tom that uh, I don't think you have to have a polished piece of writing, but I do think it is helpful to have an organizational structure in the sense that we can follow what it is that you're saying in, in a certain order uh, that makes sense for the, for the question. There is not one right order necessarily. Uh, sometimes it may make sense to go chronologically. Sometimes it might make sense to go issue by issue or, or person by person if there are different people who are involved in the fact pattern. So again, what, what makes sense for you is fine as long as we can follow what you're, uh, what you're trying to do. Using headings is fine, uh, with, with me anyway, uh, to sort of give us some kind of guideline of where you're headed in the question. So that's the organization part. The J is judgment, uh, which in some sense for me is, is one of the most important skills and it's something really hasn't been focused on so much, so I want to say a little bit about that. So uh, I've, I tell my students this, but there's a real temptation with anything that you do and exam taking and one way in which law exams may be a little bit different than other exams. Uh, contrary to, to Anne's uh, suggestion, is um, that, uh, not, not completely, I mean, I, I, get, I get the basic idea, uh, but, but um, your ordinary psychology is to do what you know, to do what you're comfortable with because you know it the best. 
Uh, and when you see something that you're not familiar with or you're not comfortable with or you don't feel confident about the answer, you want to avoid that like the plague. And on law exams, you want to reverse your psychology. Uh, you want to sort of say, okay, if this is something where it's pretty, I, I'm pretty confident I know what this is or I know what the answer is, you want to say as little about that as possible. Uh, and when you see something where you say, oh my gosh, I have no idea what to say about this, you should say, aha, I found it. <laughs> I found the thing that I need to talk about. So you need to fight your psychology. Uh, and, and find the things where you're not comfortable because this is really where the skill of lawyering becomes most valuable. Uh, lawyers have to learn to deal with ambiguity. Not, not everything, there, there are questions that have you know, pretty straightforward answers, but this is where the difference between good lawyers, outstanding lawyers, and just okay lawyers really shows up in, in how do you deal with these things where there's some uncertainty. So that's the judgment part. And then imagination, that's the I, uh, the fourth. Uh, and that I think uh, goes to what Professor Coughlin was saying a little bit about uh, applying things to new circumstances, that you're, you're not going to see something that's exactly like what you've seen in the cases or in class. And even if you think it's exactly like it, there's going to be some difference uh, that the professor is trying to emphasize and wants you to recognize that, uh, that difference. So I think those, those are the things generally that I, that I look for. Um, I want to also go back to uh, and reemphasize something that Professor Coughlin said uh, about this being real. Uh, and I think I completely agree with that. Uh, the way I tend to phrase the idea is when I read an exam, the question I'm really asking is, would I hire you as my lawyer? That's what I'm thinking about. I, we're asking you to actually start doing law, actually doing the activity of law instead of telling us about it. We want you to start doing it, and that's what we're thinking about. You know, is this person doing something the way a lawyer would do it? Are they making the kinds of arguments that lawyers would make? Are they using the kinds of language that lawyers would use? Uh, and this is, obviously you can't do it in the same way you would do it in a brief, because you don't have the time, but it is that kind of skill that we are, uh, that we are looking for. So along with that, one of the other things that I like to tell students, uh, because after seeing exams for a number of years and, and trying to figure out, you know, what is it that distinguishes the good ones from the not so good ones, um, and I came up with this, and that is that one way to think about writing an, a law exam is that everything that you say in an exam should be in the service of an argument. Everything that you do should be, okay, my next argument is this, my next argument is this, and so whether it's stating what the rule is that's relevant to that argument, or stating what the issue is, or stating what the analysis is, it's all in the form of arguments. You know, the first thing that my client would want to argue is this, or the best thing that my client could say in defense of their position is, uh, is this. And so the more you think about that, the less you, you will be likely to do what Professor Coughlin said in terms of just reciting a list of cases or a list of rules or even a list of facts. I mean, the, one of the things that, that I find uh, somewhat uh, annoying and, and disappointing is when students just start repeating the facts of the question uh, without making an argument with it. You know, again, so like Professor Coffin said about the law, we know the facts, we wrote the facts, so we, we're, we know what the facts are. What we want you to do is analyze those, uh, those facts. So I understand sometimes people want to start out by uh, kind of uh, getting, getting the, the hands going, getting the fingers going, and so you, you start typing, you know, the, uh, repeating the facts, but you're not getting anywhere with that. No one's giving you points for, for correctly restating what the facts are that are on the, the question. So just get to the analysis part, as Professor Nockmore said, get to, the, get to the heart of it. Think in terms of arguments. And I would say that that also applies to outlining uh, in the, and we haven't talked about outlines before exams, we can talk about that. Um, but when you make an outline, which I would recommend um, during an exam, before you start writing, or at least some kind of bullet point list or something that gives you some sense of where you're going uh, with, uh, with an exam, I would even try to do that to the extent possible in arguments. You know, the first argument is there is there is no consideration in this case because of the following reason. Even if you, in the most simplified, rudimentary way, if you can think along those lines as opposed to just mens rea or consideration or negligence or something, uh, and that's my first topic, well, what are you saying about that? Right? So the more you can actually force yourself to think, you know, here's what my argument is me. There's no negligence in this case because the person did this. Uh, you know, so that's, that's the way you want to think about it. And if you can think about that, everything will kind of flow nicely and you will get a kind of organization along those, uh, along those lines. Um, so uh, one of the things uh, that goes along with this idea of um, 
how you start out. Uh, you know, so another thing that I, I tell my students, and I think it's an important part of legal writing, is uh, you want to start strong. You want to start with your strongest argument. Uh, you want to. Uh, that's a, that's a real uh, important lawyering skill. But also with an exam, you want to start out strong because the, the way I think about it is, I have a kind of internal benefit of the doubt meter. Uh, and if I start reading an exam and it looks like someone is just repeating the facts or they're kind of flailing around, uh, then I start thinking, okay, uh, you're losing the benefit of the doubt, which means that later on when you write something that could be interpreted one way or another way, I may be less likely to give you the benefit of the doubt because I'm not confident. Whereas someone who starts out pretty strong and you know, they're giving me some confidence that they know the basics, they, are, they have some kind of organization, and then they say something that's a little bit unclear later on, I'm more inclined to say, oh, I think they know what they were talking about. Now, I can't quantify that, I can't say that it definitely happens in all cases, but I think we're human, and so that is sort of the way we, we think about these things. If we see something where someone seems to be demonstrating what they're doing and they seem to be competent, we're more naturally likely to, to give people the, the, the favorable benefit of the doubt, uh, in part because we do want you to succeed, as, as Professor Nakhbar said, and, and uh, we want to try to, to, to do that, but uh, if you're not giving us the chance to do that, then we, uh, we, we won't be able to, uh, uh, to do that. Um, so in terms of other kinds of things, again, a number of these things have been mentioned, but uh, things that you should do and things that you, you shouldn't do. Um, one thing also that I think it's, it's helpful to do uh, is when you read a question, and uh, I, I'm one of these people who likes long, complicated fact pattern questions. Uh, they're not all, we don't all do that, but that's, that's one, that's what I like to do. Uh, and so uh, it takes some time to digest those things. So you want to read it carefully. Uh, and you want to try to get some sense, at least even the first time you read it, even if you don't know exactly what you're going to say or how you're going to organize it, get some sense of the, the, the common sense of the problem. That is, if I were going to sort of summarize the problem here to someone who's, let's say, not a lawyer, what would I say if I could just sort of say it in one sentence, you know, sort of like a closing argument or something like that, just to give you a sense, okay, here, I understand the gist of what's happening here. I understand the basic problem here. And then I can go back, if, if you go back and read it another time and start taking notes or whatever, you can sort of th see, or right, how do these things sort of fit into that general problem, my general sort of thought about the, um, the problem. So I think that will be helpful in, in terms of both getting over the initial panic when you read a question like, oh, oh gosh, what do I do with this catering uh, problem? Uh, and the idea that, yes, I can start thinking about how the different things that we've read might be relevant to raise these different kinds of arguments in this, uh, in this question. Uh, one thing that hasn't been said in terms of the analysis part and applying the doctrine, um, when you apply these doctrines, We've all talked a lot, uh, all your professors talk a lot about, you know, why do we have these doctrines? What are they trying to accomplish? What's the purpose of them? That is very useful in thinking about how those doctrines ought to work in a situation you haven't seen before. You know, it's very, a very common legal argument is to say, all right, well, the purpose of this doctrine is this, and that purpose would be served or would not be served by applying it in this situation or applying these facts to that doctrine. So don't forget that. That's just not some kind of fancy, uh, you know, extra kind of stuff. That is an important part of how law actually works in the world, thinking about why do we do these things? Why do we have these crazy rules? Why do they look the way they do? And whether one agrees with them or not, um, can you nevertheless make use of them and, and make arguments given uh, the facts that you, uh, that you have? Um, the point about counterarguments, I think, is crucial, uh, that you need to be able to recognize. I don't, I don't want to kind of rehash that, but I, but I want to reemphasize that you do need to recognize, be able to recognize what the best arguments are on the other side. But with one caveat, I, I would say um, you don't want to sort of make what, what we might call straw man arguments. That is, there are legitimate counterarguments on questions that are, that are really debatable. And then there are some things that just aren't debatable. And so, you, you know, you have sometimes people just sort of make up things that someone might say on the other side, and they're kind of ridiculous. And that's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for you to think of some possible cockamamie thing that could be said against it. We're looking for you to, and this is the judgment point, we're looking for you to sort of identify, you know, where, where are the real seams or the, or the, the tensions in these, in these doctrines where you can really raise legitimate uh, counter-arguments. Where, uh, where are the ambiguities? Um, making use of the information you're given. So Professor Coughlin talked about 
statutes that she gives on uh, on exams. So for, for uh, Professor Nakwar and me, who are contract teachers, we very often will give contract provisions uh, in, in exams. If you get something like that, again, make use of it. It's there for a reason uh, that, uh, uh, that we're, we're looking for you. Can, you. can you read these provisions? Can you see where the difficulties are, where the ambiguities are, uh, how, how those things might be relevant to, uh, to, the, to, to the particular problem? All right, so those are at least some things that you should do. Let me just say a couple of things that you should not do. Uh, so Professor Nakbar already mentioned uh, conclusory arguments. That's, uh, that's certainly a big uh, no-no. And, and again, something that I tell my students and I point out every time I see it in opinions because it drives me crazy, uh, clearly is not an argument. <laughs> right, so, uh, or if, you know, if something is really clear, then you don't need to say clearly because it's, it's pretty obvious. If it's something is not clear, saying that it's clear is not going to make you look like you know that there's a problem there. So, uh, so try to avoid those, uh, those, kinds, of, uh, those kinds of things. Um, you don't need to write running out of time. Uh, <laughs> on the exam. We know that you're running out of time. Uh, we know these things, you know, as if you've taken midterms now, you sort of know that how, how the time sort of creeps up on you. Uh, and so that's, that's a problem pretty much across the board, no matter what kind of exam it is. Sometimes people will finish early, that, but it's, it's relatively rare. So, um, so you don't need to tell us that, but what you can do, we have, I mean, again, this is something you should ask your professors about. Uh, I'm very comfortable with someone who is running out of time to sort of write bullet points or a couple of sort of short things uh, that, you know, if I had time, I would address the following things. And then, you know, if it looks like there's, again, something where I, I can sort of intuit that, yes, you seem to have the right idea there, I might give some credit for that. So that's much more valuable than writing running out of, uh, running out of time. But, um, yeah, so I already talked about uh, restating the facts. Uh, you know, th so things like, um, Errors, you know, so we talked about the fact that there's many right answers uh, to the problems, but that doesn't mean there aren't wrong answers. <laughs> there are wrong answers, right? So you can state the law incorrectly. You can get the facts wrong. And so that's something you really try to want to try to avoid doing. You want to make sure that you're getting the facts accurately. And again, you know, if it turns out that you're in the middle of the question, you realize you misread something, as Professor Nakmore says, you should say that. You should say, oh, you know, I was reading this this way, now I see it's this way. It would be better if you don't do it, but you know, that, that saying that you did it is better than sort of going to the end of exam not having acknowledged that. So that's, uh, that's something you want to try to avoid doing. Uh, you want to try to avoid being repetitive because, again, there's not a lot of time. You want to get to as many of the different points as, uh, as you can. And uh, let me say one more thing about, um, uh, about that because we haven't really talked about the curve uh, here. And, uh, you know, it's a very common thing. When you have a curved system, which is unfortunate and we all hate it, uh, but we live with it. So, you know, but at least you, you need to know what, what that means to have a, a curved system. Uh, so, of course, what it means is uh, that we're, in some sense, grading you against each other uh, for better or for, uh, or for worse. And so, um, you know, it's, it's very possible to come out of an exam in a curved system and think you really did well on that exam, and it turns out you don't do as well as you thought, because why? Well, everyone else had the same feeling, <laughs> because it was, let's say, a relatively easier exam or something, or you have the opposite feeling, I think I did terribly on that, and then it turns out you did really well. Why? Well, because you did a little bit better than everyone else uh, who also thought it was a hard exam. So, uh, so the analogy I like to use, there's a game called Boggle. It's one of these word games with cubes in a little box, right? And you shake it up, uh, and then everyone tries to make as many words as they can out of the words in the, in the cubes, right? And how do you get points in Boggle? Well, you don't get many points if everyone has the same word, because if everyone has that word, you all cross it out. Where you get points are if you have words that no one else has. That's where you get the points. So that's sort of what a curved system is like. So um, when you come up with things that, that the average person in the class doesn't come up with, then you're going to do a little bit better than that person. That's, that's how the current system works. So it doesn't mean that you're not really learning the subject if you don't do quite as well as everyone else. And, you know, as, as has already been said, you're all really smart. You're all going to be great lawyers. One of the wonderful things about being at this school is that uh, you can all get great jobs. So the, so the goal here is uh, to be the best lawyer you can be. That's the goal of a of professional school. And you will all be terrific lawyers, and this is just helping you do that. And if you can think about it that way, even if you're disappointed in the final outcome, uh, see it as an opportunity for, okay, what do I need to work on? How can I become a better lawyer? Because that's the goal. The goal isn't racking up little uh, gold stars or something anymore. Uh, the goal is, this is my career. I need to be good at it. And I'm going to work on getting good at it. And we're, we're here to help you do that.
So I'm going to follow up with a couple of quick things. One is on your exams, you frequently will be given time allocations for the questions. You know, you want to take those seriously. Um, you particularly don't want to stick with a, one question and fail to get to the, the other two in a timely way, you know, law of diminishing returns. And it can be tough. You might be in, in the middle of a question. Time is running out. You really want to spend more time nailing it down. I think it's important to move on and, and make sure you get to all of the questions. Um, the other thing I wanted to follow up that George said is that if you're running out of time, it can be useful for you to just give us a little quick outline of what the rest of your answer might look like. Um, on that front, though, I would be cautious. Sometimes students will give outline, in outline form, their answer to every question. In other words, rather than writing out in prose, in a memorandum sort of prose style, they'll sort of just outline and give you bullet points. That's typically not a successful approach because reading the outline doesn't provide the analysis. It just sort of spots the issues and gives us some inkling of what you might have said had you said it. So I think that you want to be really careful about that approach. Only do it when you're at the last minute and you think, oh, I have three more things to say. Let me just give the bullet points on that front. I agree. Uh, rather than, than approaching the whole question that way. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. So just very quickly, a couple of things to build upon things that Anna George said. Um, so outline, absolutely. You know, I used to force myself to take a quarter, between a quarter and a third of the time to read the question and outline my answer. Because I felt like if I didn't have that pre-commitment strategy, I would jump into it. So you need to control your time. Look at the time hacks on the um, look at the time limits on the exam. The um, I, I will say I don't see students getting the rule wrong too often. Students get the facts wrong all the time. So pay attention to the facts in the question. Um, building on something that that Ann said, take care of yourself. Um, the the exams are they're hard. You have, to, you have to think hard for a long time. And, um, you know, if I could give students any tip for preparing for exams, it would be to exercise, hmm. right? It has such a huge effect on your, the, the social science, not social science, the science on this is really strong. It has a huge effect on your ability to perform. Um, and students tend to not take care of themselves during finals and, you know, take care of yourself during finals because, Locking yourself up in the library is not going to do any, yourself not going to do you any good if you can't think your way through in the the second or third or fourth hour of the exam, and that's when those differences are going to start. That's when the the, the uh, taking your taking care of yourself, sleeping, things like that, uh, is is going to make a difference. So I want to take issue with something that Tom just said. I agree on the exercise front or self care, but I don't agree on the outlining part. Um, and I want to go back to where I started, where, where you want to know your own strengths and the way you think. If I were to spend a quarter of my time on an exam outlining, I would have flunked all of my exams. Um, it's just not the way my mind works. And so I needed to begin writing much more quickly than, than Tom did. And so for me, the, the, uh, you know, the writing and the analysis went hand in hand. And it, so it's, very, it's impossible, I think, for us to tell you exactly how you should right. work this. I mean, there's no doubt at all that it, an outline is hugely important. For me, when I'm writing my own papers, my scholarship, I have to do the outline after the fact. And typically, my research assistants help me by saying, here's your outline, you know, and, and then we reorganize things a little bit. But uh, for, for, for me, I needed to jump into writing pretty quickly. Um, I, else I wouldn't have gotten it done. And then the one thing that often is, is uh, I think, implicit, but which should be made explicit, is that the more successful exams often are a bit longer. You know, they're, they're, they're you know, as we said, you don't get, you, you don't get um, points for just stating, here's the bottom line conclusion. <coughs> you get points for unfolding the analysis along the way and in a balanced way, the arguments on both sides. So again, for me, if I were to have spent a quarter of the time allocated, I would never have gotten my answers written in a successful way. I wish I was an outline kind of person. It would help um, with other things. But so, so know, know thyself and know how it is that you think and write best. And if outlining is the thing that's good for you, then do it. If you need to start writing more quickly to, to get the thinking going, I would, I would do that.
Yeah, we all wind up. So we all wind up approaching these things differently. The one, you know, the one concern that I have with writing is that, just like George said, you have to fight your psychology a little bit. You're going to read the question. You're going to want to start writing right away, and and you know what that'll sometimes do is push students to not pay enough attention to the question. So when I would force myself to slow down, mostly I spent most of that time reading the question. Right, I'd read the question and outline it. But you know whatever. It, I agree with Ann. Whatever you know, know yourself. So whatever it takes for you to get yourself to, to slow down and really understand what's happening in the question, then then do that. Questions? Yeah, do you want to ask us anything? Such a small and informal setting. I don't know why. <laughs> Oh. I've gotten a lot of worried people about I apologize. That was actually on my list, and I didn't talk about that. I'm sorry. Um, so uh, again, I think there's going to be a lot of variation here. Um, and something that George said about having an outline. So I don't, I don't allow my first years to use outlines because in their exams, they're all they're closed book. And the reason why is because I think that outlines are for suckers. So you know, you need uh, you, you. I would write an outline for every class. And the benefit that I think that, that I think you're going to get from the outline is in creating the outline. Actually taking the outline into the, into the exam, you know, great. If you can, great. I would not count on using it, right? So I think that you prepare for the question, you prepare for the exam kind of the same way, and then the outline is there. But, you, you know, I, I do think that it's, um, uh, it's a invitation to not prepare enough for the exam. Yeah, I, I give open book exams, uh, and uh, I sort of have a slightly <coughs> different view from uh, Tom. But How could it be different? Not, not that different. Uh, but, but basically, I agree that the value of an outline is writing it, uh, and that you won't have a lot of time to use it in exams. So I view it as kind of a security blanket. I view it as if you have that moment of panic where you just can't remember something and you're just completely lost, you can flip through your outline and sort of see a couple of things and say, OK, I got it, and, and it'll come back to you. But you're not going to have a lot of time to do much more than that. Uh, on on an exam, so uh, so I, I view it as basically serving that purpose, and that's uh, that's how I view open book exams uh, generally. So I don't think we're actually that that different. Uh, it's just that we have we just have a different uh, default, we come at uh, it from a different uh, angle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think outlines are for winners, not for suckers. And um, uh, but I agree, you're not likely to have a lot of time to consult your outline, but for me, um, no lawyer in her right mind would do anything closed book. You'd never, ever, ever in a million years rely on your own recollection or memory, right? You're always going to have the chance to go ahead and double check things. So I try to allow my, my, my approaches to have it be open book because the questions are so difficult and so hard that anything that you can consult that will help your memory um, is is what I is what I allow. So yeah. Thank you all for coming. Thank you. Okay, thank you.